This is Billionaires in Boxes, an award-winning podcast and TV publicist for businesses. Hello and welcome to this edition of Billionaires in Boxes with me, your host, Phil Paluccia. I am joined by a very special guest. And believe it or not, this is about the third time of us trying this. We've had every technical problem under the sun which is interesting because you've got a podcaster and a co-podcast host um and for some reason we just could not get podcast equipment to work could we kirsten so um kirsten Goldie, wonderful to have you here pure intellikey intuitive advisor this is going to be a very very special podcast so welcome to the show yeah i'm super excited to be here phil this is and hopefully this our third time's the charm right <laughs> third time is always the charm absolutely right, exactly I- I mean, technology can't fail us more than three times, surely. Absolutely not. <laughs> no, no, um, So for can't. our audience who, who haven't come across you before, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about you and about your work? Oh, my God. I'm so excited to do that. I um, am gifted to have moved into a second phase of my career, my you know early 50s, doing what I love, not just doing what I know how to do that I'm good at, but actually doing what I love, which makes me even better at what I do, you know? Um, and so today I am the chief IntelliKey officer, pure IntelliKey, which is a platform of practitioners and tools. You know, we have all types of metaphysical tools available for, um, supporting the body, mind, spirit, and soul. And that's been a lot of fun. And IntelliKey being an Aristotle in term for achieving your soul's highest potential. That is where that word comes from. Um, I also am an intuitive advisor where I work with leaders from around the globe, supporting them in achieving their highest potential, but also walking in a very harmonious life, right? Where their body, mind, spirit, and soul are all aligned. So, and that's been a blast. And I'm also a board member of many companies who are also going through this global transition of diversity, equity, inclusion, and how to really really create a platform that enables people, their people, um, the shareholders and the customers to have all have equanimity throughout the organization. So lots of fun stuff that I'm engaged in. It's beautiful. And you mentioned that that is your second phase of your career. What was, what was the first? How did, how did you, uh, well, I was going to say, how did you find it? But I should rather ask, how did it find you? I suppose would be a more accurate question. Yeah, it, that's such a great question, right? So I am a mystic. I consider myself, I have termed myself a modern shaman, right? A transcultural shaman who has studied many, many cultures of shamanism. I've trained with um, Queros in Peru. I have um, studied the Egyptian pantheon and Egyptian shamanism. I myself am Norse and Celtic, so I have my own personal background in Nordic and Celtic shamanistic traditions. Um, I've studied the Kabbalah. I have, of course, I was baptized Catholic, so I have the, you know, the indoctrination into the church just by baptism, you know, um, which it has its own set of beautiful mysticism that I do embrace. So I have been a studier of all of this my whole life, simultaneously to having a career in corporate, right? So I, but the the key here being that I had two separate lives. I've been a CFO and a chief compliance officer of technology and telecommunications companies, um, have taken them from startup to 
well over half a billion a year, you know, to, um, you know, going through their various life cycles. I've had an excellent career. I've rung the bell on the New York Stock Exchange, all while not being happy, right? Mm -hmm. Making lots of money, being around people that I didn't really care for, you know, just misaligned values, misaligned values, Um, watching people being really not treated well, you know, for cattle, and, you know, aligned for shareholders making money, but, you know, only a few benefit, you know, you you should be, you know, the attitude being grateful if you get a paycheck, right? So um, just, you know, that is really, and then over time, I really got that these two worlds have to align for me because I'm not two separate people, right? We've been conditioned here in the United States. And as I start reaching out into global markets, There's a conditioning in global markets as well. So America is not the only one where um, you're not to have a a symbiosis of your value systems, your beliefs, your spiritual practices, your metaphysical practices and business. And that's just a non-truth that I no longer embrace, right? There's Mm. really a way to expand into very high performance and self-harmony. You know, so today I'm really working with very powerful business leaders on the integration of what their spiritual path is or belief systems so they can harness exponential power. Mm. That's beautiful. And I love the fact you said harmony rather than balance because it was funny. I was having this conversation with somebody the other week about the whole work life balance thing, and they were saying it doesn't exist, it's a myth. You need harmony between the two. But it's not; it's never in balance, and and we, it led on to this conversation. And and, and uh, working with you as I do, um, for those of you that don't know, Kirsten is is my intuitive advisor, and we do a lot of work together, and and it's been incredibly powerful. So I I know firsthand that the two are not separate in terms of spirituality and business; they are intrinsically linked. In fact, if if you don't have harmony between the two. Um, that success is either short-lived or it's certainly not reaching its full potential. Um, and as somebody who, my, my listeners will have heard me talk about this before, but you know, I've had some relatively successful businesses that made me incredibly miserable. Uh, I was really unhappy. And uh, you know, I remember, I still to this day remember the look on the face of my team with my search business when I went, that's it. I've had enough. <laughs> we're closing it down. They're like, what do you mean we're closing it down? I was like, what, what are you talking about? And it was just, uh, once you're done, you're done. And a large part of the reason that we're working together is that I, I love what I do at Billionaires in Boxes and I never want to fall out of love with that. And I'm aware that if I don't have the balance between spirituality, family, health, wealth, success, all of it, that I will at some point, I will end up begrudging my own business. You know what I mean? That's right. I do know exactly what you mean. And you know what's fascinating to me, Phil, as you're talking, and like you said, I I have the pleasure of, you know, you and I have the pleasure of experiencing each other, right? Watching what you're doing and experiencing your growth and your contribution to humanity, right? I think one, that's a huge key, as we all have a desire to be a contribution. We just don't know how to do it without sacrificing ourselves right? So that's the first piece. Um, And then you talked about that harmony versus balance. I mean, balance is just so completely unachievable. Nothing's equal in our life. You know, we get that day that comes at you. Sometimes you just can't plan for what life is going to throw at you. So how do you maintain balance in that? You can't, 
right? You have to adapt to what's in front of you. Um, but, you know, I want to point to something because I think this is equally as important. You know, even in a spiritual community, there is a subset of arrogance, right? So if you're not in this new age metaphysical, like I see aliens, you know, I'm dressing like a shaman and, you know, taking on indigenous cultural looks to become them, right? Which is appropriation, you know, then you can't possibly be as spiritual as I am, right? So Mm. what I really challenge people who are beginning to embark on this conversation, even an atheist is spiritual, right? Because it's about an interconnectedness to something larger than yourself. It's not about adopting a doctrine and doing something per a book because the universe doesn't work that way, right? Mm. So that's why there's such success even with business leaders in the approach that I'm having because I'm not asking anybody to take on my belief systems, right? I'm really asking people to fall into what are your beliefs, even acknowledging that an atheist's points of view are relevant and to be honored and respected. And within that, you can build upon that. So that, again, comes back to that modern shaman and mystic, right? I still like Gucci. (laughs) I mean, right? Like, I still like Gucci. That doesn't make me a non, you know... um, a non-humanist, a non-earth person, right? Somebody who doesn't want to live in value systems that, you know, ancient shamanism brings forward. But does that mean that you're following the church of Gucci? Uh, No, actually it doesn't. It just (laughs) means that I'm not, um, right? Because think about this, right? Like we admonish capitalism, like it's this Mm. evil thing, right? A spiritual community, And yet um, capitalism has really created some beautiful things, innovation, creation, opportunity, right? It's afforded some incredible things. The mismanagement is the people. The mismanagement is the people. So if you deal with the dis-ease, which is internal to people, and you cultivate their inner awareness then we get a different type of capitalism, hence conscious capitalism. Hmm. Well, you'd have heard me say this before, but I've always said that there's, there's no point being a broke philanthropist. The more you have, the more people <laughs> yeah. you can help. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, in a way, you know, I, 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 in fact, I'm completely with you on, on capitalism. Capitalism creates a lot of opportunities and it creates a lot of wealth. It's not, it's not capitalism's fault how that wealth is distributed or how it's spent. Um, so, you know, making money is not wrong. It's what you do with that money and how you treat other people as a result and how you earn that money. That's, that's what it comes down to. And, and, and this is where you and I resonate so much together, because as you know, you know, I have a a very close group that I work with and, and we, you know, we all, we all come from different religions, different races, different backgrounds, different belief systems, different cultures. And the one thing that we all share is that we want to be able to stay in the right frequency. We want to help people and we want to feel closer in our own personal way to whatever we feel that higher power is, whether that's the universe, whether that's a form of God, whether that is a frequency, whether that is whatever it is, it, it genuinely makes no difference. And that's 
that I think is where you and I really resonate because there are a lot of people who they're it's just like a very strange thing to say because it should be an oxymoron that religion is almost at odds with spirituality. Oh, a hundred percent. And that's, that's really weird because religion should be the most spiritual thing on the planet, but it, the, the two are, the two are at odds together. It's almost like you can't be spiritual and be religious. And that's a, that's completely nonsense. That's, that's not true. Um, and and I, 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 I do find it upsetting, I think is probably the word that I will use, that there are people who feel like they can't explore their own power, their own intuition, their own spirituality, because they're, they're afraid of upsetting their religion because their religion doesn't encourage them to embrace that connection, which seems very odd. Why would you not want them to embrace that connection? You know, Phil, that's such a great point. I I absolutely love that point. And it really reminds me of um, a priest I heard, and I couldn't tell you who or what, but, you know, he was a theology teacher and he had a crisis of faith. He was a Catholic priest and he had a crisis of faith. So he chose to set out and study all kinds of religions in a deep personal way. And he went on this very long journey, and I I don't know however many years went by, you know, and he came back to Catholicism, right? But he ended up that that his beginning point ended up his end point. But what that journey did was opened up to the essence of the teachings rather than the dogma of the writings. Yes. Does that make sense? Did that? Of course it does. It really. It really does. In fact, I want to show you this. I know my listeners can't see this, so I'll, I'll tell them. <laughs> but I, I, I'm rereading this book. Um, oh God, I love Desmond Tutu. I me love too. It. So it's oh. it's called the Book of Joy, and it's conversations between the Dalai Lama and Bishop Desmond Tutu. And the, what I loved about the book, I mean, other than the fact that it's just the most bizarre friendship, these two being so close. Right, and right, they're, they're right. These, uh, they're these old men from different religions, these very spiritual leaders, and they're very childish-like in the way that they play together. It's it's beautiful to see. However, one of the reasons that I love that book so much is it is it does exactly what you've just said, which is it rises above what their religious texts say, and it gets down to the core of, yes, but what actually makes people feel happy? What makes people feel connected? It really doesn't matter what the text says and what your text says and my text says. What's our experience been? How is this a, how is, how is this a human experience? How can we improve that human experience? And at no point in this book, and I wouldn't enjoy it if they did, at no point in this book are they firing chapter and verse at each other well my book says this well actually but my book says that never it just doesn't happen because it's and that's fascinating isn't it for two spiritual leaders to be able to have a conversation and almost not bring in religion into it it's quite fascinating oh my god it's so fascinating and what you're doing is you're reminding me you know my co-host mark stinson on intelligent leadership stories we did a whole series on affirming black voices which is a big deal here in america well it's a big deal everywhere because other countries have the same issue that being said um you know we did a whole series and we interviewed this beautiful pastor out, based out of louisiana which is like the deep south of south right? Like we don't get any more deeper South. That is where a lot of our country's horrible history resides when it comes to Black America. 
And, you know, Pastor CJ, he was so brilliant. He said, you know, I am a pastor in a black neighborhood and you can go into a church and I'm only going to get my constituents and they're not going to cross over and go to another church. And, you know, the white churches, they're not going to come to mind, right? So communities are not meeting each other. And these are houses of, you know, God per se, right? These are houses of God. And that yet they, the value systems they speak to on both sides are not integrating to learn of the, you know, that their neighbors, right? But what he also said, what I thought was very fascinating as you speak about the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu, you know, Pastor Desmond Tutu, is that um, the pastors don't exchange either, right? So the pastors That's from each side of the streets did not don't come together to figure out how to find a common bridge. As a matter of fact, they're embedded in keeping the division. So I found, to your point, you know, with this book, that's a fascinating exploration. But I think we can point that to everywhere, you know, in our political systems that we're all experiencing, to Mm. the debate over COVID, right? And what is the best way to handle it rather than it being a personal issue, right? An intuitive issue to our corporations, to our environmental policies, right? If we can break this in, and this is what it really means, and even the work that I'm evolving in what I consider intelligent leadership, you know, to reach a highest potential, everything has a soul and everything has a purpose, but for it to really flourish, you have to have communion. You have to have community. You have to have collaboration and integration, right? But you can't do that with being so stuck in your viewpoint. Right. So yeah, this is really where I think we're going and what needs to open up a bit more. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, I think a lot can be achieved just by opening up that dialogue. So to use the example that you gave, if if the black pastors and the white pastors were to join together once a fortnight for bowling night and go and have a, you know what I mean? Just go and have a conversation, go and spend exactly. time together. It would be phenomenal. Exactly. Using the old term, go break bread together. Um, absolutely. Uh, and you know what? The, the same can be said, I think, for... Um, in fact, I'll, I'll share this. I think Because I wrote an article about this recently um, in Global Fluency magazine for Bertie and Crevacore West. And I talked about the fact that I was brought up in a very military family, but also a very white, dare I say, racist military family. I mean, we weren't putting on white hoods and chasing people around the street. But, you know, we, we certainly had opinions about uh, other people from other races and other religions and especially other countries. And the reason for that is that we didn't, we didn't know any of these people. <laughs> um, so we were, you were filling, it was misinformation, isn't it? It's like, you don't know enough about uh, the Muslim religion. So therefore everything Islamic is evil, you know, right. and, and, and it would be like, you could don't eat their chicken. It's evil. And it's like, what halal chicken's going to, what, what, what's it going to do? You know, but it <laughs> was, it right. was that, it was that level of sort of hypocrisy. And right. the thing that really, I mean, those people who've been listening to the podcast for a while will know I'm married to a South African Indian Muslim. So, I mean, I've clearly gone full, full pelt the other way. Um, but, 
well, the thing that really changed that for me was traveling. It was traveling around the world. It was working around the world. It was, uh, yes, seeing cultural differences, but actually uh, the thing that really surprised me more was cultural similarities. Um, it was the fact that you meet different religions and realize that in different languages, in different cultures, uh, in different temperatures, in different clothing, we're all having the same conversations. We're all discussing what's for dinner. We're all com- arguing over the TV remote. Um, you know, we're all, you know, it's the same stuff everywhere you go. And that for me was this incredible, wait, these people are just like me. And that was, that, that was where it all began. And And I genuinely feel that, and I'll pick on them a little bit. Uh, I was going to say, I genuinely feel like the more people travel, the better that is. But I, I, the people I'm going to pick on a little bit for that is Americans. I work with a lot of Americans, as you know. And a, a lot of the Americans I work with have never left the US. So yeah, they have fascinating, no, isn't it? no concept at all that there is a, a rest of the world out there that's going through that's other right. things. They just don't get it. That's right. And I'm going to break that category down just a little bit more, right? So the other, that half that do travel, they go to their posh little resort areas and never go see what's really there and experience the culture. Rather, they go in and demand the culture supports their culture, right? So it's somewhat backwards. So they don't even have an understanding of what other cultures are doing. They just go to use the land for their gain, right? Which is exactly what we're experiencing in America here right now, right? There's a real, real problem. This is part of our problem with global warming, right? As we're going to use the land for our, our own gain with little regard for what's around us. I think it's almost, uh, people almost take the attitude of, we're only here for a short period of time and the problems will happen after we're gone. So it's somebody else's problem. Right. But then there's Always. not really a consideration for the fact that that problem is our children and our grandchildren's problem. That's, That's we're, right. we're leaving it to them. Well, and think about that. I mean, to kind of migrating from this, you know, um, you know, spiritual dialogue, but take that into a boardroom, <laughs> Right. I mean, really think American companies, a very small percentage are have an integrated board, right? And they are of the same think tanks of Harvard, of Yale. They're all ingrained, which is all old money. And you're lucky if you have a minority in the school, which they're resented anyway, because they were given something, right? That the others didn't get, although they get it from their wealth, Right. But I, I guess my larger point is, is those are machines pushing out very limited thinking, right? And these systems are being challenged now, right? They are not the schools of innovation. They are the schools of the past. So these are really, we're starting to really look at education as holding us back rather than propelling an innovative future. In America, we don't have any output. We have no export. We have only import, right? We're really screwed, if COVID keeps going, because I mean, we can't even buy cars right now because there's no computer chips. So when you really take this mindset to into a boardroom and you are, you have competing opinions and ideas over the best way to move a company forward, the voice that usually loses is the one that thinks about everyone in the supply chain, right? 
And everyone and everything in the supply chain is from our customers to our shareholders, to our people, to our environment, to our socioeconomics, to demographics that might otherwise be disenfranchised, right? That Those conversations, the minute they're had in a boardroom, they're gaining traction. It's a big deal here in the United States, right? Diversity, equity, and inclusion. Because, mm-hmm. you know, the minorities have said enough and the young generation has said enough. But these are really large conversations that if you can take these skills into a boardroom and into the shareholders, because I always say you have to start with the money, right? You can't start with the CEO. You can't start with senior management. You have to start with the person who controls the company. And the person who controls the company is the money. They're always going to win, right? So if their mindset is not right, you're not making real traction anywhere, right? So. But these skills moved into business. That's why it's so important to cultivate our leaders with a different um, discipline, right? Because it takes courage to stand up at the risk of your own paycheck and say, "Mm, we're not playing this game anymore. It's old and you're killing us. What I do like about this, though, is that I appreciate absolutely that it has to come from the top and it has to come from the money. Completely agree. What I would say to that, though, is I have seen companies choosing to behave differently because of the difference of consumer behavior so uh, there i mean it's fascinating because we were talking earlier about traveling and how it broadens the mind but well i think the internet did the same thing um so what we've got is we've got the the next generation that's coming through and you know whilst they're a little bit up themselves sometimes they're incredibly woke they're a lot more conscious than 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 many of of people in, in in our generation and the generations that have gone before and i find that fascinating because there there is this whole global movement it's like well I'm not going to mistrust somebody because they're a different color. Cause I, I hang out with those guys online. Like they're my friends. They're the people I went to, to school with. And, and they're the people who are making the decisions. They're voting with their, their wallets. They're mm-hmm. saying, I'm going to choose not to shop here, which actually, I mean, uh, we're not going to get into an economics conversation because that's boring as, as sin, but you know, the, the basic principles of economics that essentially goes against them. People choosing to buy a product that's more expensive and not the best option on the market for them because of some emotional attachment to it. That's not mm-hmm. supposed to be how economics works. But that is exactly what's happening with that generation. They're saying, no, I'm not prepared to to buy that pair of you know, X training shoes because they use sweatshops in the Philippines and I'm not okay with that. But, you know, it's fascinating you say that. I just read an article in the Wall Street Journal yesterday. And um, Goldman Sachs and companies alike, you know, these well-known sweatshops of college students coming out of college who get pennies on the dollars. They work, I, I don't even know how many hours a week, right? Probably more than a medical intern for nothing. Goldman Sachs and these other um, sweatshops are unable to gain these young students coming out of college because they're not going to do it. So they're having to pay six figure salaries coming out. And, you know, some of there was a lot of, there were a lot of analysts that were thinking it was just somebody trying to outprice a market company, trying to outpace a market and get like the best of the best. But what they're finding is that these kids, they're not going to be underpaid. They're not going to be cattle in a sweatshop making the Warren Buffetts rich anymore, right? Mm -hmm. They're going to be paid well. 
and they are going to have a, a lesser work week. You just, it's not humanly possible to do that, right? So this, I call, I, I wrote a whole paper on the slavery of the paycheck, right? Mm-hmm. And they have owned us for a very long time. And that there, there's a deviation, there's a glitch in the matrix. And they are not like watching Warren Buffett with this Robin Hood app. It was brilliant. He was like a belligerent old white man, you know, just upset that this Robin Hood app defunct a market, a, a stock market here in the United States. And Warren Buffett had no control over it. Like that was a big deal. And I was so excited to see that. Like I loved watching him get upset. Yeah, it's also that, I mean, I, I talk a lot about how we've moved finally out of the industrial revolution into the entrepreneur revolution, because now with the with the internet, you can you can be a freelancer. You can come straight out of college and combine with a few friends of yours and go and start an agency or a consultancy doing something. You can, mm-hmm. you no longer are dependent on the graduate from a good school, move to the city, get an internship, slog away, work your way up. I mean, not least of all, because there was a gap in between, you know, that whole work for a company for 40 years, get your pension and go somewhere else and where mm-hmm. we are today. And that gap was that companies tried to maintain that mentality, that, that you know, enslaving you over a paycheck, to use that terminology. But they weren't giving you the security or the stability of the 30, 40-year career. That didn't exist. So they were, they were having their cake and eating it too, and now they've got neither. And what I found fascinating, especially during this whole COVID period, is that it's actually this, look, a lot of small businesses have closed down and I'm not going to overlook that. And that's incredibly painful to see. At the same time, there's a lot of small to medium-sized businesses who are actually managing to do better because they've been more agile and nimble than the larger companies. They've been able to make a change inside of six months that's now having a positive Mm -hmm. impact on the world and on their revenue, whilst the companies are having their fourth board meeting around what they should do about this change. Uh, (laughs) 100%. And then demanding them to all come back in September while the second variant is going through, right? Like not realizing they lost the battle, right? (laughs) Absolutely. It's already over. It's already over, but we're going to try one more time, you know. But, you know, I think that's also been a beautiful output of COVID, and I, I mean, I hear everybody talking about this, so it's not novel, right? But because of COVID, we've had some real meaningful dialogue, right? And people have really reevaluated a lot. I know personally, I have, right? And I also want to make clear, I'm not demonizing corporations because they're essential, right? They are essential. And I don't want to say that all corporations are bad because they're not. I know a lot of incredible leaders who have attempted to do well, right? And um, they provide a lot of employment for people. They provide a lot of products that do a lot of good for people, right? But I think there is a shift coming where we just need to go deeper and wider now and have a more mm. meaningful output amongst the supply chain. So I'm really careful to not, to not put every corporation into a bad place because there's some really beautiful leaders sh- making some meaningful shifts in these larger corporations. Jeff Bezos not, not being one of them. Well, I was going to say, yeah, well, I was going to say, it's not the corporations that's the problem. And I want to echo that point. It's the irresponsible greed. That's what I'm Yes, calling. thank you. Well it, said. It, it, it's the, we want to make as much money as possible and screw the consequences. Screw the people, screw the environment. It's all about the money. Like, the, 
the the days of trying to convince people that you have to almost be evil to make money are gone because there are some, as you said, there are some great leaders doing some great things who are achieving incredible financial success, but they're also doing it in the right way. So, right. I mean, we're picking on Jeff a little bit. I was going to say sorry, but I don't think he's listening, so it's all right. Um, <laughs> maybe he is. I don't know. Hey, Jeff. Um, but, you know, the, look at how much he pays people. I mean, I watched the documentary recently on um, people who work for Amazon. Uh, it's like their their package handlers and stuff, and the way that they're treated is horrific. Like really, really it's bad. Awful. Uh, it's I, awful. I got a box the other day, and it must have been, I don't know, f- 50, 60 centimeters each way. Like this box was this big bloody box, massive, and right? It, and it was like eighty percent padding, and it was for some vitamins. And they quite clearly ran out of the smaller boxes, so they just sent me this massive box. But I was looking at this thing, going the waste that is in here. I mean. The, this is cardboard. This is paper. This is plastic. This is this is natural resources that have just been shipped out to me to send me a couple of bottles that actually probably, if you just squeeze them, would have fit inside an envelope. Um, right. and, and you look at that and you well, how many parcels are Amazon sending out each day? I mean, just in my small street, we see the Amazon driver at least five or six times across our neighborhood. Absolutely. Everybody has Amazon boxes, and I'm guilty of it, right? I'm one of those convenient shoppers over principle. Mm. but it, well that's the thing though isn't it we we what we want is these corporations to make these decisions so that we can all feel better about it what we don't want is to have to try and reinvent the wheel and say well amazon is extremely convenient it's a great right. service a- amazon prime is fantastic i love it but that doesn't mm-hmm. mean that i want you to just throw morals and ethics and corporate and social responsibility out the window to, in order to be able to deliver that, you know, that mm-hmm. Amazon delivery driver that's here five times a day. Can't you pay him better? Like you're making right. loads of money. Right. Absolutely. I, I mean, truly while Jeff is out in space, I mean, I know he's not the CEO anymore, but hand over fifth, he makes a ton of money. Right. But he's out in space messing around, calling it the greatest revolution. Well, Really? Really? How is that? I think his comment was, you know, my contribution, because somebody did ask him, what, a news reporter, you know, what is your contribution? You haven't, you know, you haven't contributed to anything but your own self, you know? And his thing was, well, I'm going to be able to bring waste to the out, to the space rather than keep it here on earth. Well, really, Jeff? Really? That's a solution? So we could really, you know, expand our. Am I allowed to curse on this podcast? But, you know, expand our stuff, 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 you know? Yeah. But, I mean, how ridiculous is that? That instead of trying to find a solution to produce less waste, it's just like, it's fine. Keep producing the waste and we'll just dump it in space. Yeah. And, and, you know, the beauty is, and and here's the key, right? I don't know what the solution is. And, I, I, you know, I'm a really good complainer, but I always really like to bring it back to a positive. And it comes back to what you said um, a few moments ago. It, it's the dialogue that matters. Coming to the table, having meaningful conversations so innovators can innovate, right? That's creativity. That's innovation. That's where new products, that's where the next revolution, not an industrial revolution, but the next revolution comes from, right? We've been through a technology revolution. Right now, banking is our main is our main economy. And that's kind of a foul, I think, right? Yeah. That's, a, that's a penalty box for the globe. 
Yeah, I won't. I don't think it's going to be long either. I mean, we've we've seen people dabbling in cryptocurrency at the moment, and there's been some um, pump and dump schemes, and there's been lots of people that have made some quick money from it. But I, I think as as we start to understand it more, and it becomes more regulated and more understood, I think that's going to cause a massive problem for the traditional banking model. Um, and actually, I guess the fascinating part of this is I've, I've actually used this uh, example before. But could you imagine the power that comes from a, a cryptocurrency, a safe cryptocurrency, if everybody in the US suddenly said to the government, we don't like your decision on this. So, uh, so we're going to vote with our feet and we're all going to move all of our money out of the US economy at the same time into this cryptocurrency because we don't approve of the way that you're spending it. I mean, that gives power back to the people. Because, mm-hmm. you know, if you if you threaten to take that much money out of the economy of any country, I'm picking on the US, but of any country, you get suddenly get people listening to you. But the same mm-hmm. can be said for consumer behavior. I mean, we're talking about Amazon, so let's use them as the example. Consumer behavior with Amazon. You know, we're not going to give you a single penny. Nobody else is going to spend any more money with you until you stop underpaying people until you start making people work unsafe hours in those conditions until you stop using too much packaging and too much waste that's it stop no more no more money but you have to have a strong collective to be able to do that and and going right back to your point you have to have very brave leaders in order to be able to even suggest that that's right and stand up against opposition yeah. Right. Oh, and there will be plenty of that. Yes. And stand up and simultaneously. Right. And this is where I think really critical leadership training is. Right. You have to stand up to opposition. You have to have complete agility. You have to have incredible listening skills. Right. You have to also have great engagement skills because you need people to be allies, not and not creating an adversarial tone. This is my position. I Mm. believe in global warming. So therefore, you need to do everything I say. That's still adversarial. Right. Mm. So it's about how do you create teams that are able to speak authentically, even if they're opposition? Right. And that to me, that's those are negotiation skills. Those are powerful listening skills. Those are, you know, we have a lot of coaches right now, but these are what coaches are training people in deeper levels to do. Right. We're training people to go in and how do you really create allyship in the greatest point in history of global adversity? I mean, COVID alone is the greatest war amongst people. We have such division. And I don't care if you are a vaccine, a person who supports vaccination or is against vaccination. We are being manipulated to fight each other. I don't care if you believe in masks or don't Always, believe yeah. in masks, right? Come to the table and have an authentic conversation and then see what comes of it rather than coming to the table to convince you of my way, right? Because that that's where that, innovation we, we... comes from. We are being manipulated to fight each other. I mean, it happened during Brexit. It happened during the elections with Trump. It happens time and time again. Because to use the mask example, if somebody's wearing a mask, that shouldn't mean that you want to shout at them and tell them that they're an idiot that's fallen for a load of fraud. Likewise, if somebody's not wearing a mask and you are, that doesn't give you the right to shout at them and start criticizing their choices. It's we've That whole reaction 
has been manipulated. And whilst I completely agree with what you're saying about, you know, you need to have the listening skills, you need to have the ability to communicate your point and find those allies. I also feel like that's where the intuitive side of this comes in because you need to be making decisions on how this information feels as well as how it's being presented logically. And a great example of that. I was going to say, bam, that was a dunk on that one, right? You're right, 100%. That intuition is critical. Well, it has to be. I mean, if you think about it, look at uh, a great example of this would be lobbyists. There are people who are paid to be very vocal on a certain topic or certain point. So technically, Mm -hmm. you can buy allies. Well, right. if you can if you can buy allies, then it becomes very difficult for people based on logic alone to know who it is that they're supposed to be listening to. Because people okay, that bought. is such a brilliant point. Oh my god, you're speaking my mystical language. <laughs> I love it. But you well, you well, I was going to say you see where I'm coming from. Of course, you see where I'm coming from. But, <laughs> but that's it. Like you, that's where you have to be able to see does not just the words that that person is saying. How does it? How do I feel about that person? How do I feel about the message, all of it. Right. Are they in this for the highest and best good for everybody involved or are they in it for what they're going to gain from that moment? And there's a really huge difference, right? Are we committed to something greater or for the pocketbook, right? Mm. Or power, right? Power over power under. And all of these structures are being blown up, which I think is bloody brilliant, right? I think it's Confucius who says it. It's in the chaos that you know, it all com- creation comes, right? I, I blew how he really said it, but I believe that, right? We're in mass pandemonium right now. And through this comes new creation. There's a, I was, I'm about to butcher a quote too, so you won't feel left out. Um, there's a, <laughs> there's an Einstein quote about, um, you're not able to solve a problem with the same energy that created it. And I often yes. think about that as like levels of thought. So, the mm-hmm. levels of thought that created this problem, it's going to need a higher frequency to be able to solve them because we're not going to be able to solve the problem from the same place that we created it. Absolutely. And I got to tell you, I mean, this is in my, this is a thought process. I'm sure others have thought it, but I really haven't run into. I don't want to solve the problems we have, right? Because they're broken. They didn't work in the first place. If they worked, they wouldn't be broken. Right. What I'm really looking and that's and that's what innovation is. Innovation isn't saying, look, we have some broken things. Let's make a new thing and put a a plug in it. Innovation is coming up with something that doesn't exist at all. Based on a need and from that need, something like taking us to a place we've never been. And that's what's needed. We need leaders who think at that level. Don't go in and try to fix our government. Our government's broken. Go create something new. And like, I mean, that was what the American Revolution was supposed to be before we like killed all the Native Americans and brought in slaves, right? But there was, I mean, there's a whole thing. Yeah, that went really well. But the intent was to create something that didn't exist before. And from that standpoint, they did a brilliant job, right? And this is, but so to your point, don't, don't fix what's already broken. Create leaders who have the fortitude, the courage, the ability to your point, to use intuition and guidance to go to places we've never been and create newly. And that's how we end up with a new future. No, I love it. I love it so much. We are uh, we could go forever, you and I, but unfortunately, we've come to the end of the podcast. For those people who are listening that are thinking, 
you know, I'm so resonating with this. I wonder if I have the potential to be one of these leaders. How do they get in touch with you? Oh my God, Phil, thank you for asking that question. So I can be found on my LinkedIn under Kirsten Goldie. And just look me up. And if you can't find me under Kirsten Goldie, just connect with Phil. He knows where I am. I'll put the show notes in the description. Yeah. Oh, awesome. And then also send me a note in LinkedIn and let me know that you, you know, heard me on Phil's show. I would love to connect with you. Perfect. I will put uh, a few links and and ways to get in contact with you uh, in the show notes below. I imagine there'll be lots of people that are resonating with this. As we said this actually off air before we came on that um, because we for those people that don't know, which is obviously everybody, we've got a conversation after this and we were going to be we said, should we do it before or should we do it after? And I said, no, no, because every time you speak, I always end up you know, going into like this woo-woo place and my head's working overtime. So let's not do it before because the podcast will be complete mush. I won't know what I'm talking about. Um, but no, so there'll be lots of people that have had lots of ideas inspired here. Thank you as always for for your time and for your honesty. I think it's a, it's such an important conversation for us all to be having. And yeah, well and truly up my, up my street, Hi. as you can imagine. Oh my God. So grateful that you have had me as a guest and that I've had the honor of meeting you. And, you know, I guess we met you on our podcast. So thank you for sharing. You're most welcome. I was going to say, people have heard me say this before, you know, podcasting is such a powerful tool. You know, we're doing this incredible work together. I'm loving working with you. It sounds like you're enjoying working with me and we all, we both met on a podcast. So, uh, you know, I practice what I preach. Yes, we talk to people about how to meet people and network and do all that kind of stuff and grow your business and expand your network on a podcast. But Here's a great example of what happens when you do. So, Kirsten, thank you so much for being here. Please, please check out the show notes below. Definitely get in touch with Kirsten and have that conversation. Um, it sounds like we're we're heading into an exciting period, and I'm I'm keen to see who within my listeners steps up and and takes that challenge, and who's brave enough to kind of uh, lead us into the new tomorrow. But um, until next time, take care of yourselves. This is Billionaires in Boxes, empowering one billion entrepreneurs one podcast at a time.